We're turning in our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 2. Now it's a long chapter, 37 verses. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm just going to read a portion. So I'm going to read the opening um, eight verses, and then I'm going to read from verse 31 right through to the end. So we're reading tonight from Jeremiah chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 8, and then verse 31 to the end. If you have your Bible, even though the words will come up on the screen, encourage you to find the place appointed for the reading and read the word of God together. Now, I stress that many weeks, and it's for this reason. I don't just want you to hear the word of God, but I want you to see it. And I want you to see it on the page so you can follow, knowing that every word is pure and precious and every word is powerful. Let's hear the word of the Lord tonight. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? Neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt? And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. The priest said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Let's come to verse 31. O generation, see ye the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness unto Israel? A land of darkness. Wherefore say my people, we are lords. We will come no more unto thee. Can a maid forget her ornaments? Or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Why trimmest thou thy way to seek love? Therefore hast thou also taught the wicked ones thy ways. Also in thy skirts is found the blood of the souls of the poor innocents. I have not found it by secret search, but upon all these. Yet thou sayest, because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead with thee, because thou sayest, I have not sinned. Why 
gatherest thou about so much to change thy way? Thou also shalt be ashamed of Egypt, as thou wast ashamed of Assyria. Yea, thou shalt go forth from him, and thine hands upon thine head. For the Lord hath rejected thy confidences, and thou shalt not prosper in them. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text tonight is found in Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 32 and verse 33 and 34. The word of God says, Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Why trimmest thou thy way to seek love? Therefore hast thou also taught the wicked ones thy ways. Also in thy skirts is found the blood of the souls of the poor innocents. I have not found it by secret search, but upon all these. My theme tonight is entitled The Tragedy of Forgetting God. Jeremiah 2 records a long series of very searching questions put to the professing people of God in his day and generation. This series of investigative questions starts in chapter 2, verse 5, and continues all the way through right to verse 37. Now these questions are not a mere light-hearted, informative question. They're very solemn, serious questions, real personal penetrating questions, questions that analyze the impact of a people deliberately and willfully forgetting God. Jeremiah the prophet tells us in chapter 2, verse 1, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And he's thinking and saying, What am I to do with that word, Lord? And here's the answer, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem. And this is what you're to say, Thus saith the Lord. And, and what follows then, as Jeremiah addresses its people on a personal level, congregational level, national level. He says to them, Sus, saith the Lord, and he begins to outline and highlight the blessings and benefits of being in a saving covenant relationship with the God of heaven. And yet despite such blessings and privileges, the children of Israel, Judah and Jerusalem, backslid and apostatized from the Lord, so much so that others could talk of the tragedy of forgetting the Lord. You see, this chapter in particular sets forth the very grievous sin of forgetting the Lord, not only in a national level, congregational level, but on a very personal level. It affected the princes on the throne. The royal house was brought into disrepute because they had forgotten, forsaken the Lord. The prophets were brought into disrepute. Sadly, there was many false prophets in Jeremiah's day who said, peace, peace, when there was no peace. The, the priests were also impacted and affected. The, there was many false ones among the priests, guilty of iniquity, idolatry, guilty of indifference to God and his truth. The people were affected. They loved to have it so. They did that which was right in their own eyes. And listen to what Jeremiah said. In God's name, can a maid forget her ornament? Or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me. Days without number. 
That is the tragedy of forgetting God. Now, three things tonight I want to teach you from this subject. First of all, the choice of forgetting God. Notice the questions. Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. You see, two questions are being asked here. Question about a maid forgetting her ornaments. Think of a maid dressing up and putting on her jewelry and going out to do shopping or to have recreation. Think of a bride who's getting married on her wedding day. And on that day of getting married, she doesn't wear her wedding dress. She wears old clothes. She doesn't prepare herself for that special event. That would be unheard of. You think of the word here, forget. Can a maid forget? Can a bride forget? Her ornaments, her attire. Yet my people have forgotten me. You see, I want you to think of the context here. And I want you to think of the meaning of these two words, forget and forgotten. Let me tell you what it's not. It's not unintentional. It's not forgetting something that you do not mean to forget. It's not a a temporary forgetfulness, a particular date that slips your mind, and you forget that date. You forget about the time that you're supposed to be somewhere else. You'll be rushing here and there. You forget an appointment to keep. You forget to turn up for a particular meeting. You forget a name or forget a number. Uh, it slips your mind. You, you, you can't remember it. You forget your keys. There's times in the past I drove from the manse up to the church, sat outside the gate, put my hand in my pocket, and felt foolish and sheepish because the keys were still in the kitchen. You see, there's a man one time went for a job interview. He was asked by his prospective employer, what's your name, sir? His mind went blank and he couldn't remember. He was asked again, well, what's the name of the company that you've come to? And his mind went blank. He was asked again a few other questions and his mind was totally blank. He sat there like a dummy. He couldn't remember anything. Now, that was a temporary forgetfulness. You you might laugh at that. Sadly, the man didn't get the job. But that's not the meaning here. When, When it asks the question, can a maid forget her ornaments? Or a bride forget her attire? And then it says, yet my people have forgotten me days without number. It's not a temporary forgetfulness. That's not the meaning here. What is meant is, unintentional, a deliberate, willful decision and act. It's an attempt of the individuals to deactivate their mind and their conscience so that they put away all thoughts of the Lord. In other words, they're dismissing the Lord out of their lives, dismissing the Lord out of their hearts and minds. So you've got to think of the professing people of God the princes on the throne, the prophets, the priests, the people, the pastors, and they're making a deliberate conscious choice to deliberately put the Lord out of their minds, even though he's their creator. 
Does the Bible not teach that in him we move and live in our being? Has he not created us in his image? Are we not image bearers of God? Does the Bible not say in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1, addressing the young people, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth? Is he not also the sustainer of the life that he has given? Is the very breath that we breathe not held in his hand? Is it not he that gives life to all, to man and beast? Is he not the provider of all that we need in life's journey? Is he not showered upon us good and gracious gifts? Is he not the source of all that goodness and grace? He is. Is he not also tonight the redeemer of our precious souls? Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 49 and verse 8, for the redemption of their souls is precious and it ceaseth forever. Is he not sovereign tonight? Is he not the living and the true God? Does he not rule and reign this world that he has made? Is he not thrice holy? Is he not absolutely perfectly just? Is he not rich in mercy? Is he not tonight the judge of all the earth? Is he not the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight? The answer is yes. And yet despite this, Despite the people knowing that he's creator and maker, he's the sustainer of that life, the provider of all that we need in the journey, the, the only redeemer of God's elect, a God who is absolutely sovereign, the living and the true God, the judge of all the earth, a God who is holy, just and rich in mercy, a God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Despite that, the people make a deliberate choice. He's the one who's forgotten. Underline the word. My people have forgotten me. It's Jehovah. It's the Lord God himself. Isn't that amazing? But that is absolutely terrible. That that is thought-provoking. Is it any wonder the psalmist said in Psalm 9 and verse 17, whenever he thought of that precious truth of people consciously and deliberately forgetting God, he said this, the wicked shall be turned into hell. And all nations that forget God. That includes this united kingdom and its people. They deliberately and willfully turn their back on the Lord. That is a terrible sin. And I want to ask tonight, is that true of you? Are you guilty of such a choice? Remember, this is Israel. This was the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is the people of Judah. This people have a great testimony. They could say this God is our God and he'll be our guide even unto death. This people had really been touched and blessed by the Lord. The Lord had revealed himself unto them. He had redeemed them to himself by the power of the blood of the Lamb. He, he, he had been with them in the wilderness journey. He had reconciled them unto himself. This people had a great past. The Lord had done great things for them. We're all for glad. This people had a great history. This people had great and many blessings and privileges. And yet it was this very same people who made that dreadful, deliberate choice. My people. Here's the holiest and highest being in the whole of the universe. The living and the true God. The one who could talk about my people. The one who's right to claim ownership of them. 
by creation and by redemption. He has the right to be remembered. He has the right to be recognized, the right to be regarded. And yet here's the greatest evil unimaginable. Here's proof of man's depravity, total depravity, with a bias and a tendency to deliberately and wickedly forget the Lord. I want to ask the question tonight, is that true of you? Is that true of me? The choice of forgetting God. Am I addressing a backslider this evening? The question was, can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. In other words, it wasn't just yesterday or last week or last month. Days without number. Time is rolling on. And you have deliberately turned your back on the Lord. You see, this was a sign of spiritual declension. And a sign of apostasy. A sign of backsliding, a sign of spiritual unfaithfulness to the Lord himself. This was a deliberate, wicked choice to replace God with something else that is not God. And the people were trusting and connecting themselves to that one thing as if it were God. The sad reality is that what they were trusting in and turning to and committing themselves to was connected to iniquity, to immorality, to idolatry, to a difference. God was not in all their thoughts, living without a reference to him, pushing him out of their lives, living as if he doesn't exist. And I put to you tonight, that was a willful, deliberate, sinful choice. And I want to ask again for the third time tonight, is that true of you and me? Have you no fear or thought of God tonight? Dost thou fear God? You see, there's a choice of forgetting God. It's not a temporary forgetfulness. It's not unintentional. It's intentional. It's deliberate. It's willful. It's an attempt to dethrone God, put him out of the heart, put him out of the mind. Notice, secondly, the conduct of forgetting God. Look at verse 33. Why trimmest thou thy way to seek love? Therefore hast thou also taught the wicked ones thy way. Also in thy skirts is found the blood of the souls of the poor innocents. I have not found it by secret search. But upon all these. Here's their evil conduct and behavior. Here's the outworking of that sinful Willful, deliberate choice. Flowing from that choice is their conduct. And notice what God says. Why trimmest thou thy way to seek love? There's the first manifestation of their evil conduct and behavior. And then secondly, why teach the wicked thy ways? In other words, why teach the wicked to live ungodly lives? And then the third thing is, why are you targeting the wains? That's a reference to the poor innocents, the children. I'm from Bush Mills, as you know, and we talk about the wains there. My grandmother used to talk about the Wachels. It's a reference to the children. It's, it, it's uh, old Scottish dialect. Here's the charges being laid against them. 
Jeremiah the prophet is driving this home, having made this choice of forgetting God. You're guilty of this. Here's the outworking of your choice. Trimmest thy way. What does that mean? It's got a a various usage in the Bible. But let me just give you its spiritual meaning. It's to be accepted, to amend, to adopt, to change your way in order to be acceptable to others. And isn't that true of many Christians tonight? Isn't that true of many churches? But I want to make it clear tonight, a saved man, a spiritual-minded man, a spiritual-filled man, a sanctified man, a separated man, will never trim his way or change his lifestyle or behavior to be acceptable to the ungodly. Every truly saved man or woman, sanctified by Christ Jesus, will want to live a life of holiness unto the Lord. And they know that they'll never be perfectly holy this side of eternity. Yet that individual, he or she, they will purposefully strive to aspire after such a life. And as a result, he or she will live a separate life. That is, they'll be separated from all sinful pursuits and practices of ungodly men. In Psalm 1, you have got two men that are in view. You've got a man who's a godly man. And we read of him, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but in his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And then you have another man. We'll call him the ungodly man. Here's the contrast. The ungodly are not so. From verse 4. You've got two men in view. The, the man of the word and the man of the world. And the man of the word is characterized by a negative what he doesn't do. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The negative is first, and then the positive. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The man of the world, the man who is utterly godless in this world, his way is going to perish. But his way is totally the opposite to the man of the word. And the man of the word's way is totally opposite and diametrically opposed to the man who's in the way of the world. Let me apply this denominationally tonight. How many churches have trimmed away the word of God regarding the gospel, regarding the fundamentals of the faith? How many churches have deliberately changed things not meant to be changed? It's a sign of forgotten God. It's a sign they've made a choice. And how many churches have taken out their pulpit and they're saying, we no longer believe in the centrality of the word of God. They have changed their hymns from the old hymns of Zion and brought in new modern hymns. They've even changed the Bible, done away with the authorized version. They have begun to change the message. They no longer preach the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're now preaching self-help schemes to do with building up one's self-esteem. You see, many tonight have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Many have a name to live, but they're dead. 
I thank God tonight for the Free Presbyterian Church. I thank God that we're a separatist denomination, that we're outside the World Council of Churches, that we're outside the Irish Council of Churches, that we're outside the ecumenical movement, that we're outside the charismatic movement, that, that we're outside liberal modernistic churches. You see, we want to live unto God as a bunch of born slaves of Jesus Christ. We're glad to be separated unto the gospel. To us, this is part and parcel of the normal Christian life. This ought to be true of each and every professing child of God. Yet, friends, the reality is, the tragedy is, so many churches, so many professing Christians individually are not living lives totally separated unto the Lord. The tragedy is true, not only denominationally, but individually. Countries tonight, churches are committing the same sin of Judah. What are they doing? They're trimming their way to find acceptance and accommodation with the ungodly company. If you're a true Christian, you can't enjoy and engage in the company of the ungodly. I want to tell you tonight, you can't walk with the Lord and be hand in hand in him and hand in hand of him who's in the world. The two, the man of the word and the man of the world are diametrically opposed. The way of the word is different from the way of the world. Listen to what the word of God says. Young people, listen to me carefully tonight. This is what the Bible says. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And over in James, we read in James 4 and 4, Ye adulterers and adult dresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And I want to tell you, worldliness has nothing to do with wearing makeup or putting a set of earrings in your ears or dressing up in ladies' trousers. That's not worldliness. Worldliness is the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Oh, that we could understand that. A person who is trying to go to the north, but at the south, can't do it exactly at the same time. He can't go east and west at the same time. Why? Because they're in opposite directions. And, and that is true in a spiritual sense. A man of the word is going in an opposite direction to a man of the world. They're, they're diametrically opposed. There's a spiritual enmity being revealed here. If you look carefully at the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 2 and verse 17, what do we read there? The question is asked. It says, Hast thou not procured this unto thyself? in that thou hast forsaken me, the Lord thy God, when he led thee by the way. Do you see that? They're asked a question. Notice the wording here. Verse 17. 
when he led thee by the way. Do you see that? And then in verse 18 we read, And now what hast thou to do in the way of Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor? Or what hast thou to do in the way of Assyria to drink the waters of the river? You see, God wants the people, these professing people who claim to know him and love him and worship and serve him, here's something they must recognize and realize, that these two ways, the way that he leads and the way of Egypt and the way of Assyria, are diametrically opposed one to another. I want to tell you tonight there's a way to heaven and home. You have to walk the narrow path of holiness, which is the evidence of the new birth. Or you can walk the broad road to hell and damnation to destruction. Remember what the Lord Jesus taught? Enter ye in at the straight gate. Why? For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Verse 14 of Matthew 7. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You have got a personal responsibility here. Which path? Child of God, if you're born again, if you're found in union with Jesus Christ, then by the Spirit of God and the grace of God, you should be adopting the mindset, Christ for me. You, you realize that there has to be a personal going on with the Lord, that you can't do it in your own strength or power. And you need the grace and help of God. And it's difficult and it's not easy and we acknowledge that. But yet many are tampering and trimming that walk in order to be acceptable to an ungodly world. Is that true of you as a professing Christian tonight? Is that true of the professing church that you belong to? That it's willing to turn its back on biblical principles in order to be accepted? Think of the impact that such a decision has on your friends, your family, your fellowship, your fellow countrymen. It's interesting here, and I'm just going to take the time. There's eight references to the word way here in Jeremiah chapter 2. Eight has to do with a new beginning. In chapter 2, verse 17, it says, He led thee by the way. You're thinking of following after him, following in his footsteps, having fellowship. The Lord is leading you by the hand. You're following hard after him. That's the picture. And then in chapter 2, verse 18, it mentions the way of Egypt. Egypt's a, a reference to the world. It's adopting the idea, the practices, and the customs, and the ways of the world. And you're supposed to have nothing in common with the ways of the world. Notice the reference here. And now what hast thou to do in the way of Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor? Sihor's a reference to the Nile. Dirty, slimy, grimy water. And yet they would rather drink that than drink from the fountains of living water mentioned in chapter 2, verse 13. Here's the fountain of the water of the world. It's, it's dirty and slimy and grimy, taking in every foul and unclean thing. Think about chapter 2, verse 18. What hast thou to do in the way of Assyria? Do you know that you profess as a Christian to be in fellowship and friendship with Assyria, invited to drink here, to be refreshed here, to rest here, 
to um, recognize here. It's a rejection of the way he leads. Do you know that tonight that Antichrist is known as the Assyrian in the Bible? In chapter 2, verse 23, you've got a reference to see the way in the valley. It's a reference to Baal worship. Can you see the progression? You've left the way that he leads, the biblical way of holiness and separation. You've gone into the way of the world. You've begun to drink and fellowship in the river of Sihor and the rivers of Assyria. And you ended up in fellowship with an anti-Christian crowd. And now you're worshipping with the anti-Christian crowd. No longer is it a life of separation. You're, you're spoiling and soiling your testimony. I want to say tonight that the Free Presbyterian Church has no truck with or time for the ecumenical movement. The Free Presbyterian Church is not involved in the building or the bringing together of a one world super church in league and in line with the mystery of Babylon, the mother of harlots. My Bible says that that church will come together. And it will be joined with her that's the mother of harlots that's situated in the banks of the Tiber. Now tonight the Free Presbyterian Church does profess its love for Roman Catholics. We pray for them as our fellow countrymen. We have no hate for them. We seek them no hurt or wrong. We, we are acknowledging that. But we hate the system that binds them. The system that blinds them to the true gospel. Because God's salvation is not in the church. The Roman Catholic Church teaches there's no salvation outside her, the mother church. But salvation's not in the church. Salvation's in Christ alone. Does the Bible not teach by grace are you saved? Through faith in Christ alone is revealed in the Bible alone to the glory of God alone. The Bible tells, my Bible tells me there in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11, to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for their deeds are evil. Think of that. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. In chapter 2 of Jeremiah, verse 23, we read the words, How canst thou say, I am not polluted? I have not gone after Balaam. See thy way in the valley. Know what thou hast done. Thou art a swift dromedary transversing her ways. In other words, you're, you're moving as swiftly as a camel. Once you begin to get away, you move very speedily and quickly to forget the Lord. The drift is progressive. Psalm 1, the man was walking not. Then the man was standing not. And then the man was sitting. See the progression? Walking with them. Now standing with the ungodly. Now sitting with the ungodly. Do you see the progression here? We could name names tonight. I remember reading a book in the study, Unity in the Dark, by the Reverend Donald Gillis of the Irish Presbyterian Church. Now that man, before he died, openly called for unity with the Church of Rome and the charismatic movement, the ecumenical movement. Another man that I was fond of reading was a man called J.I. Packer. wrote a lovely book entitled Knowing God. And yet that man is an advocate of Roman Catholics and evangelicals getting together. Even with the Pope being the head of the church, which is not. Mary is a co-redemptrix with Christ. 
the doctrine of justification by works being taught, purgatory being taught. I want to tell you tonight the world is a terrible enemy. I want to tell you tonight the devil is out to to, um, ruin you and ruin your testimony. And the devil has ruined many Christians. The devil has ruined many churches. Why? Because there was a trimming of the way. And many tonight are running to ruin. And there's an acceptance and an acknowledgement of of, of this ease. Why? Look at chapter 2, verse 33. It says, Why trimmest thou thy way to seek love? Do you see that? Sinning to seek love. Dr. Alan Kearns makes a reference to Dr. Henry Cook's church in May Street in Belfast built somewhere around the time of the 1820s. Thousands of people flocked to that church to hear the man of God preach. The newspaper editors of the day were so enthralled by the eloquence and power of the man of God that they used to come to uh, transcribe by hand his sermon, and many of them ended up putting down the pen. They couldn't write. They were so riveted by the power of the Spirit of God as the man preached the gospel in the power of the Spirit. You go to that same building today, it's a beautiful building, one of architecture, the decor is lovely, but sadly the Lord is not there. Ichabod's in the door. Thousands are not flocking there. Oh, there's a handful, and I don't despise the handful, but they've got a liberal modernist for a preacher. You see, here's the excuse. We're doing it in the name of love. And that's what the ecumenical movement tells us. That's what the charismatic movement tells us tells us. And yet the very people that says we're doing it in the name of love don't believe in the blood atonement. Don't believe in the biblical teaching of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Some of them don't even believe in the reality of heaven and hell. They don't believe in the Bible and the infallible word of God. They believe in abortion, same-sex marriage, transgenderism, but it's all in the name of love. If it was true biblical love, true love rejoices in the truth. God is love, but it's a holy, pure, biblical love. And sadly, many professing Christians and professing churches have gone into apostasy all because of a spurious love, a love that's not of God. Let's get together for the sake of love. And they've become confused and entangled and muddled and led astray. Why? Because they've left their first love. And the first love was to Jesus Christ and to the living and the true God and a love for holiness and a love for old-fashioned Bible-believing religion. Oh, I say tonight, you could have doctrine correct. You could be 100% orthodox. And yet the Lord can come. He could come to the free church tonight and he could say this of her. I have somewhat against thee that was left thy first love. The first love is what? It's love to Christ. And I want my love to Christ to be strong and to flourish. Pray for me tonight. The trimming of the way. Very quickly. Teaching the wicked. All of us tonight exercise an influence on others. Parents and children. Teacher and pupil. Minister and congregation. Politicians and the people. I remember hearing a story about a man in the train. He had his whiskey flask with him. He had a cigar. He had a long coat. And he was leaving the train and a woman said to him, Sir, that was left something behind. And he felt for his whiskey flask, cigar in his hand. He said, I've got my coat on. 
She says, I've left nothing behind. And she said to him, sir, you have. You've left behind your influence. You've come into this tree and you've drunk whiskey. You've puffed your cigar. You've cursed and swore like a tripper. Children have been present. Women have been present. Men have been present. Young people have been present. And you have left behind your influence. You see, you you could be an influence for God and good. You could be an influence for sin and Satan. I, I want to say tonight... There's no good standing with the ungodly in a party or a public house if you're going to try and win that ungodly person for Christ. You're not loving their soul. If you teach them to sin and teach them to do evil, the ungodly have no estimate of sin or the holiness of Christ or Christ in the cross or no thought of heaven and hell. But they'll have a lower estimate of these things, of sin, holiness, Christ and the cross, heaven and hell, because your life is not being a faithful light to them. Could I ask tonight if you enough light to lead a person to the Savior? Or lead a person to sin? I know our time is gone, but let me finish this. Targeting the wains, verse 34. The poor innocents are mentioned. The children of the rising generation. They haven't asked to be born into this world. They had no part or portion in their birth. They had no or much say in their infancy growing up. And yet, all that they have learned, they have learned at home before they reached the age of seven. You see, that's why the Church of Rome tells us, give us a child until that child is seven. Take it from us, from the rest of our life, and you'll not change it. I, as a parent, need to be careful. You, as a parent, need to be careful teaching our little ones. Do we teach them to sin? What about the drink culture, the drug culture, the dancing culture? Are we failing in our duty? If we don't stand up and speak for true righteousness and holiness, if we're not a faithful watchman watching for their souls, Have we not got the task of warning the children? We want to pray for them. We want to speak to them. But we want to live before them. Uh, uh, We don't want to be an unfaithful watchman and be asleep and have the blood of the poor innocent children on our hands. Many poor innocent children growing up have been abused and exploited. Society has failed them. Religious institutions have failed them. Oh, we think of the care home scandal. We think of babies born out of wedlock and the treatment that they've received. There's a targeting of the wames, and it's totally wrong. And it's all connected to this conduct, having made the choice of forgetting the Lord. Let me close tonight the consequence of forsaking the Lord. If you live a self-serving life, If you live a life suppressing God and his truth and the gospel, I want to warn you tonight, you will die in your sins and you will languish in a poor sinner's hell. The Bible says, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. Here's the consequence of forgetting and forsaking the Lord. 
and backsliding and going into apostasy where you serve yourself. You suppress God and his truth. You will languish in a poor sinner's hell. Hell is real tonight. The devil is real. Sin is real. But Jesus Christ is real. Salvation is real. And I say to you tonight, if you're a genuine backslider, repent and get right with God. I say to you, if you're a professing Christian, take these things seriously. Think about your choices. Think about the conduct. Think about the consequence. And ask yourself tonight, have I have enough light to lead people to the Savior? Or am I leading and influencing people to sin, even the wains? May the Lord take his word and apply it to you tonight. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your fellowship in the gospel. I'm sorry I've gone a little longer than I normally do, but I wanted to finish this message in one particular um, preaching exercise.